welcome to Life Science Marketing Radio, the podcast where marketing leaders inside and outside the sciences share their creative ideas and practical approaches to increasing your marketing ROI. Here's your host, Chris Connor. Howdy, folks. Welcome to episode 148 of Life Science Marketing Radio. Get ready to stretch your storytelling muscles today. Besides sharing valuable information on creativity and career in this episode, we set a record for the number of pop culture references, and you'll see why in a moment. But before we start, I know it's planning season for many of you. If growing an audience for your brand is on your priority list, may I recommend a steady stream of content that entertains, informs, and inspires? That could be a podcast a video, yep, that's right, or words on a page taken from either of those. There is a link to my Calendly in the show notes. Now, let's explore the world of comic books and healthcare marketing. So this is another episode where marketing and career intersect. Dan Chichester is a writer, a strategist, and a creative consultant with significant experience in healthcare and marketing. He has been a writer and editor for Marvel Comics before going to work for Ogilvy Health. And he's the second comic book writer on this podcast after <laughs> Buddy Scalera. I want to talk about that connection around creativity and healthcare. And I'll just point out we were introduced by Alan Gerstein. So thank you, Alan, for that. Yeah, thank you, Alan. Welcome, Dan. Thank you, Chris. It's really nice to be here. I'm glad we connected and looking forward to having a good conversation. Yeah. So let's talk about creativity and deploying that in either life science or healthcare, where there are always a few constraints around what can we <laughs> yes, do. Yes, there right? are. <laughs> and which causes some frustration, but also some excitement for marketers if they can solve that puzzle and, and do mm -hmm. something different. So just for background, though, and I think for the in broader interest of my audience. Tell us how a comic book is made, and then we can talk about that process and how it relates to marketing. Sure. My knowledge of how a, how a comic book is made is, of course, going back 20 years. The last time I was really working as an editor in a detailed way. But I don't think a lot has changed in terms of the practical steps. What's changed is probably been the application of digital technology in order to bring to life the art and how the coloring and production is done. But I'll talk about it from an editorial point of view, because I think that's what's given me the most transferable skill sets. And as an editor, you run an office of a number of titles, say six to 10 titles, monthly titles, 20 page books that have to come out every month or, or every other month at the very uh, most. And each of those titles has a primary creative team on it of probably four to five people. There's the writer, there's a penciler, person who often will draw the initial artwork, the inker, somebody who comes in and then uh, uses black ink to embellish the artwork, the colorist who adds the color effects to the black and white art, and the letter who's going to then bring the words to life on the page. So you've got six books times five people. <laughs> so there's a lot of rodeo aspect to this, but you're bringing together those people. You're defining the storylines that they want to tell. Maybe as an editor, you have a point of view and you're bringing forward, we're going to go in this direction because this is my vision for a character, or maybe there's a bigger uh, company vision that these characters have to move in this direction. Or maybe the creative team that I just described, generally the, the primary artist and the writer 
have an idea of where they want the stories to go and you're helping to shepherd those things in the right way. They may have a great idea and you want to support that and make it better. They may have a harebrained idea and you want to rein that back in. But you're managing all these people and all these personalities. The art is coming in and different stages. The script is coming in first. That's being reviewed. Then that goes out to the artist. The artist is then doing the art pieces. Those are coming in. Then those are going, those pieces go back out to the colorist and the letterer to apply their additional effects. And you're the ringmaster in the circus here as an editor. You're managing all these pieces with your assistants. Those are then being assembled. All the corrections are being made to them. Overlays and publishing that might be in a part of how it's going to look. Those are then being sent out to the printer. Those pieces are coming back. You're reviewing those to make sure there's no mistakes or it's up to spec in terms of the printing. And then finally, your stamping of the piece of final, and then that goes to, to press, and then it comes out. Nowadays, of course, would be digital press as well. So a lot of pieces there. And of course, you're then also interacting with other uh, divisions. You're interacting with uh, promotion. You're interacting with retailers, maybe, and talking about when are books coming in. You're helping arrange, perhaps, uh, signings or appearances for these different creators. Boy, that was a lot of stuff. <laughs> That is. It's it's also, I'm thinking about it as a Marcom person. Yeah. And my imagination was always, there's a person drawing out the story and writing the words in. But now when you say there's a script, yep. and then an artist has to draw a picture and leave space for the letterer to exactly. put that in a way that makes sense. You're considering a lot of pieces that are yeah. then going to come as a consequence of what you've done in the beginning. And you're partnering with a lot of people when you're doing this. And you can make great partnerships. You can make terrible partnerships. The running gag as a writer from a comic book point of view is I can write anything I want. Well, if you write page one, panel one, and you can imagine a comic book has multiple panels to a page. And I write in panel one, we're on the edge of the galaxy with a great armada of a hundred ships and a thousand foot alien is coming up from a planet behind it with its tentacles coming out to reach for those ships. Meanwhile, dot, 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 the artist who gets that script and that has to illustrate all that in that first panel is going to hunt you down right. <laughs> <laughs> and do strange things to you. So you've got to have a good synergy with all these people. And while I never planned it, certainly this was not a planned career path, but those skills of managing those types of people and different personalities and bringing them together and evaluating work against goals that we had to set against timelines, bringing different personalities and disciplines to bear as I had to get a book out became very transferable when it got into marketing. And as I took on bigger roles and especially as a creative director in, in certain areas where I had to manage multiple teams, I had to manage artists and writers and work with strategists and work off creative briefs, which you could, might consider as the beginnings of a script or a plot outline or something like that. I never had the wherewithal to think of it this way, but those skills became very translatable to be able to then be able to bring things to life for clients and marketing and, and advertising. I like this because this episode, as I said at the beginning, is a little bit about career, Yeah, like developing skills and applying them in, and particularly around creativity, but also it's also going to be about marketing. Mark sure. on people never have that problem where the idea is so wild and then someone has to illustrate that first panel. Right? Never happens, never. <laughs> but that's what I want to talk about is how do you get creative 
and then deal with the constraints of what you can do and and so on so um obviously this wouldn't be the typical path to healthcare or tech marketing you told me <laughs> previously that you underplayed that background at first and yeah. then you had a change of heart around it and decided to embrace it so how did that happen my exit from comics was somewhat inglorious as a lot of people's were at a certain time there was a big crash in comics around mid 90s so big opportunities big sales all these kind of things went out the window the, the, the publishers uh, started to produce less books therefore there was less uh, storefronts Therefore, there's less opportunity. So suddenly where I had been, which was in a pretty good position and having some success and having some notoriety to a certain extent, went away. And, and I was in a transitional place anyway. I was looking toward more digital opportunities. I was getting really excited about what was happening uh, with computers and digital art and digital creativity. But at the same time, it was this door that I'd been able to go through and walk back and forth had suddenly slammed in my face to a certain extent. And my mindset at that time was a very black and white mindset, which I would say no one should ever have. <laughs> and it was very much like, you don't want me, I don't want you. And <laughs> I'll show you. And so there was a certain sense of I'm recreating myself. I have to recreate myself. I have to do this. And therefore, the person I am now, not knowing what the heck I was doing, certainly wasn't I knew what I was doing the first time I walked into Ogilvy and Mather and they took me into an IBM conference room to talk about writing an IBM website. I knew nothing. I knew nothing about IBM or marketing or website development uh, from a creative point of view. But my mindset, again, was very black and white. So I, I, I said, I have to think only about this. I can't keep my hand in that, which was ridiculous, frankly, because certainly a lot of that training was still going to be in play. But also that was something I deeply and dearly enjoyed. And the mindset shift that then took place later, which I think was very freeing and, and opening, was when this would get name dropped now and again. Wait a minute, are you the Dan Chichester who used to write Daredevil? Or my nom de plume was DG Chichester, because you have to go with something very pretentious. Was you know, There'd be this connection and people would light up because it was quirky and it was odd. And if they, even, if they knew my work as well, then there was a, a real different respect and attitude about it. And I started to cool to that hot attitude that I had that sort of slammed that door and said, why am I cutting myself off from that? The ideas I'm coming up with anyway for healthcare or IBM or other things are oddball to begin with. I was known for pulling in strange and unusual things. I'm cutting myself off from an important part of myself by not acknowledging this. So let's play this out. Plus, there was a lot of things happening or starting to happen within healthcare, especially in comics. Uh, a movement called graphic medicine was using comics, and it still is. And a graphic medicine uh, online convention actually starts today, uh, right now. So you won out, Chris. Thank to, you. To, to, no, to, to see how comic-style storytelling could be used to tell healthcare memoirs or explain certain aspects of health technology or processes. And so to me, it just then became, maybe as I chilled out a little bit, but also said, speaking from a place of just utter confidence, and that that is not arrogance, but more just the sense of, of yeah, let me tell this story in my way. And if it's you're receptive to it, that's great. If not, I'm being authentic. And that was, I think, an important uh, turn in my approach to my work and myself. 
it's a scary thing sometimes when you're changing jobs Very to much. do what you did until you realize, okay, now I have the job and if it leaks out that I was a comic book writer, okay, and then you start to see it. But I can understand when you're looking for a job, and I don't know exactly what your experience was or how much people knew about you when they were hiring you. Mm-hmm. I... I taught sailing for several years you remember between you being, that, yeah. being a scientist and being a marketer. And I was fortunate enough that the first person to hire me understood what, one, my writing ability, aside from the sailing part, but also could understand my ability to work with people and yes. teach people and get them to do things or whatever. Um, and then it came up in another subsequent interview where someone said, I'm so glad you brought that up. And I was shocked, but mm-hmm. it, it, it was a relief because you never know. But yeah. um, everybody's probably got something a little unique about them. And that makes them, in some ways, it's a differentiator. Even if it's relevant or not, it makes you well, I think it also gives you a sense of that confidence and power. And I read something a, l- a little while ago, and, and I'm going to mangle it badly. But the basic point of it was, especially within the workplace, you tend to shut off very important parts of yourself, right? You don't always bring that authentic person you are to the workplace because you're going in as a marketer or a scientist or whatever, or an account person or whatever it is. I've got a 14 hour day in front of me doing account person work. I don't have time to talk about the fact that on weekends, I love ballet. This is not me, but, but it could be. And for the fact that you, or I'm a musician, or I write short stories, or I do magic tricks or, or whatever. And therefore you're spending the majority of your time not engaged with the, the things that you are. But once you start to then bring that forward, you're not going to suddenly maybe do a ballet dance on top of a table in front of a client, but maybe that would certainly make for a memorable meeting. But if, if you start to acknowledge that and bring that, then the rest of your day sort of level sets more. So you've got that aspect of yourself and then everything you do becomes more more powerful i like that that's cool so let's talk about pushing the limits in creative storytelling so you sure. mentioned the phrase world building mm-hmm. before are there examples successful or not examples that stand out for you in terms of pushing those limits like what worked what didn't what was too much for people yeah you i think you there are so many moving parts within marketing communications. You have to have a great team with you. You have to have people who really respect and trust and value, you know, what you're doing, no matter what level you're at, even if you're in charge, quote unquote, on certain things. And, but I think pushing for more always excites people and gives a better chance for something extraordinary to happen. We are always going to get knocked down a little bit. There's just too many, <laughs> there's just too many things going on. There's too many people involved. There's too many over concerns about this or regulatory things about that. And so if you start in a safe place, this is my mindset. If you start in a safe place, well, let's go here, the ground level place. This is safe. Um, and, and we'll get it through and it'll happen. The idea will happen. That's not just going to stay there. It's going to get knocked down <laughs> below ground level now. So if you start way above ground level, if you really shoot high on something, you will surprise people. You'll move them, you'll move your, their imagination, you'll move their intent, and things will start to uh, be more generous because of that. 
we did something uh, not too long ago on my last you know gig where it was a very short timeline it was for a, a, a microbiome it was out in the public it was for for fair it was a microbiome display and discussion at a convention so it wasn't a hidden thing but the original thought was we only have a short amount of time we'll just do some display monitors good information for medical education on this which would have been perfectly fine and perfectly appropriate but we challenged it or i challenged it i said well, let's see what else we can do what else can we make happen here we're talking about the power of balancing the microbiome isn't there something more we can do with that and so we had idea sessions we had idea challenges <laughs> We had people challenging us. And ultimately what that resulted in was this idea of we would put the doctors who were visiting the booth in the role of the microbiome itself. So by using a series of four or five iPads, each of which represented the microbiome. And if you can imagine an iPad, it's got a little gut animation or whatever on it. And um, as you tilted the iPad and as you were using the accelerometer and the gyroscopes within it, you were creating a balancing act against different challenges that were coming up. And these challenges almost acted like magnets. They were pulling you off balance. So there was always a challenge of C. diff or a reinfection, maybe the healthcare system <laughs> itself, yeah. something pulling you off balance. And you had to work in tandem with these other doctors, these other health professionals yeah. with the iPads. That's why there was four or five of them. And as you did it, you were all trying to bring the biome, the microbiome into balance. And lo and behold, like this idea went forward because we came in with a sense, I believe, of, of articulation and confidence and excitement about it, right? This wasn't smoke. This was like an, a, a, a solid idea, game aspects to it, participation aspects to it, discovery aspects to it, because by doing this together, the realization of the HCPs, the healthcare professionals is oh yeah, the biome should be balanced. So it had all these pieces. So when you presented it, it had that sense of inevitability almost. So the client and the internal team's like, yeah, yeah, I see that, that's great. And I think that makes those things happen in a great way. But you get there because you say, why not? Even more than what if, why not? Right. And you go really high up here and it got knocked down a little bit. Like, oh, it went from this great animated display that was supposed to be happening in, on, on one table to a more static display and certain aspects like that got compromised i would say but at the end of the day the effect and the purpose was still there i'm imagining that when you do that there's an inspiration element to it that you inspire the team this is what we're trying to do and they know mm -hmm. as you say it's going to get knocked down but when someone says oh you can't do that or you figure out that's not possible then people get more creative and they think what can we do how can we get as close to that as possible as opposed to here's the thing we can make it you have to do that i think in any probably any business any thing you do because there are always knockdowns right there are always compromises of a sort and it's very easy to get the wind taken out of your sails bring it back around to sailing of and then say let's just do let's just go back to those displays not healthcare but when i worked on ibm we were doing this extraordinarily complicated and detailed website that was going to have a lot of video elements in it it was going to incorporate video figures of characters who were in a popular ibm tv spot at that time me and my partner were extremely excited we were going to shepherd this thing every day it seemed like there was a new compromise right every day there was like we can't the budget went from $100,000 to $50,000. <laughs> we can't get the talent at the time that we want. 
we're not going to be able to do video at all. The best you can do is get a half an hour with them on a on a on an audio line from California to record some audio snippets. <laughs> you know? So every day you can get something like that happening and say, oh, geez, just give it up and just make it a big blue dot you click on or something. Or you say, okay, you shake it off and you reinvigorate yourself. And I think that's where you play a role on a team. Everybody can play that role on the team, but somebody's got to in order to make projects like that microbiome one. You mentioned one of the challenges when you moved into healthcare was maintaining the freedom you had from telling stories around mm. imagined universes. So how did you build trust with your partners and your clients and so on to do those bold things like we were just talking about? Well, it's a little bit of a parish, you'll say the the, the fairing story for this one, but <laughs> because there are some parallels to it. I think you have to be able to go in with something that you're enthusiastic about and that you believe in, and that has those points of tangibility to it. Your enthusiasm for different things, and most of my work was in the digital area. So my enthusiasm for digital and parts of the teams that I worked with enthusiasm for that would invariably bring certain things to the fore. Uh, wow, there's some new voice technology. Wow, there's some new VR technology. There's some new whatever. You, you start there and you get enthusiastic about it, but you have to then be able to bring something forward for a client, internal team and a client. But generally my mind was, let's get to the, let's get to the client in the sense that you then turn that initial inspiration into a, a tangible, purposeful point of view, right? You would never go in just with, let's do virtual reality. Some people do just say, let's use this technology or let's do clubhouse or let non-fungible tokens or whatever today's <laughs> thing is. Um, yeah. Let's do them. But what, here's what that VR is going to do. Here's what that augmented reality is going to do. It's going to create this situation where a door is going to open in a doctor's office. And on the other side of that door is going to be a world. And the sales rep can then walk through that door with the doctor and on the other side, they're inside the body or they're within a patient's living, uh, living room and they're, and they're seeing how the, the living space has been compromised because of their condition. So suddenly they're surrounded by something that makes more of an impact on that doctor for that moment in time. And when you go in with that level of detail, it's not all figured out, but you then, you your reality of it, your belief in it, transfers over and then you start to get allies and they start to get excited and they start to then build on it and then once that happens the idea gets away from you but that's okay because now it's got more advocates and that's how i think you go from it's only a team of five in comic books that has to worry about creating that world on that title to then you get a lot of moving parts a lot of moving people but you're you're creating good friction good energy that allows those things to then take root and then come to life. Yeah, I love that. Using the technology, but being specific about what it's yeah. going to do and the experience you're going to create for the people on the other side of it. Because then the technology vanishes and all that's left is the experience itself that you're creating. And that I think is so key, right? It's not about, oh, uh, you know, when uh, I would coach sometimes uh, creative teams, do you remember Flash? Do you remember the technology Flash? Did you ever, what, oh, yeah. <laughs> Flash? It was all the rage. It was yep. a big animating interactivity engine online for quite a bit of time and, and made some interesting things happen. But sometimes I would, I would 
watch people present work to a client and they would say, the flash animation happens here or this type of thing. And then I'd get folks after that and I would say, no, there's no flash animation. What is happening for the person? What are they experiencing? What are they getting out of this? It's not about that this is flash or HTML5 or anything like that. It's about what you've made happen for that patient or that doctor in that moment. And if you describe it that way, and you, whether you're pitching it or it's come to life and you're showing it, then it's so much more powerful. But ours goes to 11. Exactly. <laughs> and there's a lot of that too. But look at this. But NFTs. Yeah. You also inspired me there. You reminded me when you talked about going inside the body. I just had a flashback to one of my favorite movies when I was very young. Fantastic Voyage. Yep. Big inspiration. Yep. Yeah. Big inspiration. The movie, now that I have have mentioned that i have to mention the thing that got me to be a scientist was the andromeda strain that was really? hugely influential in my career and it's that's a heavy science thinking movie there are steps to that movie it's got hollywood artifice to it but it's an interesting film i could see how it would inspire you because it actually yeah they actually go through so many steps to arrive at the conclusions as opposed to just oh my god it's mutating behind the glass and then the glass shatters and right they're actually very structured characters within the movie yeah that's my life as a scientist didn't turn out to be that exciting that's why i'm a podcaster now so <laughs> this is more fun you're living yeah. those sort of andromeda strain and it's yes indeed times. no kidding so that um, brings us to the fact that science over the last year has done some amazing things. Yeah. I'm hoping it continues to do some amazing things. Mm -hmm. We talked a little bit about a little bit of a dystopian vibe that happens around us. But you, you and I discussed or you brought up to me these elements of creative works that sort of inspire a vision of the future. So yeah. talk a little bit more about that. Science fiction, right, which we just name-checked, Fantastic Voyage and Andromeda Strain and those type of things, is an, is an interesting genre, and a genre I loved growing up especially, because it doesn't posit actually the future so much as it's really a reflection of what's going on, <laughs> in a way. And But I think the best of it and the inspirational things of it are where the things that you create or you have a responsibility to create if you're crafting stories like that, or even if you're crafting things within marketing how do you tell those stories in a way that they feel like they are taking you into the future and that future is one of opportunity there's a lot of stuff going on now clearly in terms of conspiracies and social media and, and things don't contribute well to an overall embrace of potential so much as an embrace of what are they trying to get out of me or put into me but at the same time the things that inspired you about the Andromeda strain, right? As much as it had a little bit of government conspiracy and, and high tension moments, those scientists within that storyline were trying to take the steps of science to do good. They were trying to come, you know, contain that, that d disease from outer space, figure it out, stop things. The bomb at the end is a last resort right it's yeah. not the first the destruction is not the first thing the first thing is what's going on here or things like star trek which inspired me and many others it was a very boldly go what comes next a sort of storyline and these things i think 
or, or even if you look at the, the paintings of, of outer space from NASA from the, the 60s and 70s, which positive, this is what Mars colonies are going to look like, or Venus exploration is going to look like. These are extraordinary visions of things. And as crazy as an Elon Musk might sound, or we bust on the billionaires for taking their joy rides in outer space, I see a Starship One you know, type of launch pad or think about what the potential of another electronic vehicle or electric vehicle is gonna be. And these are inspirational moments that we need more of. So if they're coming from a guy with more money than a James Bond villain, I prefer they were coming from maybe other places, but I'll look for those because I think yeah. those moments are necessary and we need to highlight those. We need to hold those up and try to create the ones that we can of our own. Because there are also, there's the young woman, the high school student a few years ago, I can't remember her name, who created a, a blood test out of a science fair that was basically a change the world. She didn't have a lot of money, but she figured out something extraordinary through science. That's a more extraordinary moment that needs to be highlighted more. It's hard, right? It's a signal to noise yeah. ratio. But these are the things I think that are worth highlighting so that we get excited about the future instead of just feeling, oh, it's more burning planets and wildfires and look, another chunk of the Arctic fell in the ocean and all that's happening too. So right. I don't want to be, po yeah. I don't want to be Pollyanna, but at the same time, I think we need to look for those moments that are truly inspirational and hold those up to at least some degree of equal weight. Yeah. Giving people that vision of, I mean, I'll just call it hope or excitement. Yeah. Yes. Right. The science of the last year, it's hard for people to appreciate it because it's come from large pharmaceutical companies and there's that, that easy derision of that. And, but that's extraordinary work that happened. <laughs> yeah. That's science at uh, an extraordinarily accelerated rate with a lot of amazing effect. And those are individuals who made that happen. Right? Those are individuals who committed to those certain technologies and the certain science behind that when they were not being embraced by the larger, say, science community. And they took a stand and they made things happen. And the fact that ultimately it will become for a degree of profit and it may be within a large uh, multinational corporation doesn't take away from the commitment to science and health of the individuals who did that yeah no i think that's uh, that should be inspirational to everybody listening to this podcast the people who are helping science move forward i love mm -hmm. that story you've got me thinking now about the big moment for me i think it was the beginning of this year maybe it was the end of last year was watching live the latest mars rover oh yeah oh, craned crazy. down to the surface and crazy like in real time, we're watching this thing happen from, I don't or know, Or that little, the little drone that's attached to it. And right. Perseverance. And, and they're flying an aircraft. A helicopter. With a little piece of the Wright Brothers aircraft attached to it, apparently. Oh, so they're flying cool. that aircraft on another planet. That's crazy. It's really, it's nuts when you think about it. And, and to get technical, flying it where there's not much atmosphere. That's exactly. what my mind. Like, how much more lift do you get? Yeah, the experiments work? behind it and everything else. And again, it's a signal to noise sort of thing because it's a lot more sexy to talk about all the disasters than to play those type of things up because the drama there is, wow, it's been a success. 
wow, they've flown it not one time like they thought. They've now flown it 12 times. <laughs> and, and it hasn't gone 40 feet. It's gone a mile and a half. And yeah, that's amazing. So what do you do next time, right? Now that they have that uh, available to them. But I think those are moments of triumph and accomplishment, which we can all be excited about and, and share more of because they make more things like that happen. Nice. Well, Dan Chichester, I'm going to wrap this up on that super positive note. This has okay. been really fun and inspiring. I know people are going to love this episode. I'm going to put links to your website. Thank you. In the show notes. And, and if you could also, could I ask a favor? Could you, yeah. Can you also put it to my newsletter? Which that's is... the next thing I was going to say. Oh, there you go. Jumping ahead. But tell me the name of the newsletter again. I just had it up. I was watched, read your article about story structure. But... Oh, thank you. My, my newsletter is storymaze.substack.com. And it's about a weekly newsletter. And it's got things about creativity and writing and inspiration. And some things about comics sometimes yes. as well. <laughs> so a little and bit I of everything. People will dig it. And I want to point out, because I noticed this in your article, you and I are the last two people to use the word dig that doesn't involve using a shovel. <laughs> You ever use the word grok? I use the word grok. That one I don't. I know what you're talking about, but um, I use the word dig frequently. So, excellent. Excellent. Thank you very much. Thank you, Chris. It's been a lot of fun. I appreciate doing this with you. Yeah, my pleasure. This is one of those episodes that was so much fun, my cheeks hurt from smiling. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you are still listening, I know you did. So don't keep all the goodness to yourself tell the folks you work with to listen and subscribe. That way you'll have something to chat about while you wait for the boss to show up on your next Zoom call. I'll be back in a few weeks. Bye-bye.